So, uh, tell me about first person. What, what is, uh, well, first, I guess, give me a little bit of background on how you guys got into this world of mushrooms. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Joe and I got into this world, uh, because of a history of Alzheimer's in our family, actually, uh, dating back to when we were younger and our grandfather, uh, we saw our grandfather go through it. He was, uh, you know, kind of an idol of mine because he was an entrepreneur and businessman and, and very successful. And then we saw him um, go downhill mentally through Alzheimer's. And then uh, fast forward years later, and our dad started doing the same thing. And then Joe and I and our brothers just got together and said, we got to change this for ourselves, right? And we just started exploring the uh, different ways to protect your brain uh, over the long run and, and learning about it and going to conferences and, and led us to functional mushrooms uh, like lion's mane, which is really important for brain health, and eventually into psychedelic mushrooms, uh, which have the potential to be a holy grail of brain health as it uh, really improves your brain's uh, neuroplasticity and, and, and neural connections. Yeah, I watched a documentary last night all about, you know, I guess the first therapeutic uh, therapy that was, or the first therapy that was researched for psychedelic mushrooms was to cure depression. Is that right? There's been a lot of research from PTSD, depression, anxiety, phantom limb pain. There's a, there's a lot of research going on currently right now about all these different uh, topics, for sure. Mm -hmm. And they were using, you know, doing studies back in the 50s and 60s on these compounds um, before it was, you know, kind of the war on drugs started in 1970s and all of the, the ban really happened in like 1973 when all of the research on psychedelics stopped. Mm -hmm. So we've had like a 40-year hiatus, almost 50-year hiatus from research, but they, they started cranking that back up a few years ago. Uh, they started allowing some studies to be done, and this is those studies that Chris was referencing on ADHD, depression, and the, the one you're referencing on depression, Johns Hopkins did on, um, on people with terminal illness mm -hmm. and untreatable depression. So these guys had depression, anxiety about their impending mortality that was untreatable with any over-the-counter prescription drugs, right? Any, anything, nothing touched it. They gave them, ev they threw everything at it. And these people were miserable. They couldn't sleep, you know, and then with cognitive behavioral therapy and high dose psilocybin treatment, they found, you know, efficacy rates of upwards of 80% of, uh, after a treatment for these people, if they were then they completely okay with the fact that they were going to die and they lived the rest of their days. Um, happy and content and were able to reconnect and with their families and, and weren't just living in misery and fear, which is 80% is amazing. Like nothing, nothing, no drugs have yeah. anything near that. It's pretty amazing. So you brought me these things, these three, um, products of yours. Yes. What, can, what, what are these? Can you explain, explain what, what these are? Definitely. So the first one is the yellow. Yeah, that's Sunbeam. The Sunbeam. Yeah, sunbeam. And it, what kind it, of mushrooms are in these? That one has lion's mane and cordyceps, as okay. well as some other botanicals and ingredients in it. And it's designed specifically to enhance your dopamine system. Right? Okay. Uh, dopamine is responsible for reward and motivation. So that's like a, a classic. Take two? Take two, yeah. Okay. That's a classic uh, what you would take uh, to get you going get work done, be motivated. 
Um, and it's all of our formulations were designed um, towards specific neurotransmitters for a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of things that are in the cognitive field are a little bit kitchen sink. They just kind of throw everything at it and say, hey, this, this is good for your brain. Um, ours are uh, uh, targeted specifically at uh, dopamine and the the uh, oxytocin on the golden hour, the one you have in your hand now. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a unique product. That's golden there's, hour. There's really nothing like that out on the market, and, and the concept was, hey, let's have something that you could take um, that would give you a relaxed, alert focus, and um, with a lot more happy and connection. Um, like oxytocin, similar to um, kind of what an MDMA would do, right? And uh, really pumped that after we got through the formulations and tried them for the first time, that really, really did work and um, real pleased with uh, that product. And you can stack those two things together. Mm -hmm. Um, The initial feedback we got from a lot of customers is that the stack of the both of them together feels a lot like a microdose, like a psilocybin microdose, which was surprising. We weren't really expecting that. I've tried it myself, and I can say, yeah, it, it, it does kind of feel that way. Um, these formulations were designed to stay away from the serotonin receptors, which psilocybin uh, affects the serotonin receptors. Um, so these formulations towards oxytocin, towards um, dopamine, and towards GABA for the sleep um, leaves open the serotonin receptors for those who might be doing a microdose protocol. Okay. Um and I brought my own microdose of psilocybin, and I should. You recommended I take this with the Sunbeam and the Golden Hour, right? It's a, it pr- a yeah, it's a okay. very nice stack. This it's is the first nice time stack. I've ever ever ate mushrooms. So <laughs> bottoms up. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. First time you've had mushrooms ever. Mm-hmm. Well, first time I've had uh, magic mushrooms. Yeah. 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 Psilocybin. Right. Well, but I've, I've done so much. I've I've read so much about it and watched so much, so many documentaries about it. I've I've always wanted to. I've always just been scared. Yeah. Right. Right. There's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of unknown, um, and there's a lot of misinformation, and a lot of that comes from you know that the hippie '60s and '70s and right. all of that psychedelia around that. Um, but particularly in a microdose, um, it's not something that you're going to have visualizations. It's just really mm-hmm. a boost of mental cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's proving out to really improve your neural connections. It's great for creativity. Um, it is also great uh, for just boosting your brain power over time. So mm-hmm. we've been microdosing for quite a while. And I think my brain is functioning at the highest level it ever has in my life right now. Yeah. Wow. And going back to where we, you know, where, where it started is, is um, we both had several injuries throughout. We played high school football, um, and we know that, you know, going in, looking at Alzheimer's dementia, that we were like, okay, this is scary because Chris got knocked out a couple times. I was knocked out. I also had a traumatic brain injury and a snowboarding accident where I fractured my skull in three places and broke my C3 vertebrae in my neck. It was a, a rapid deceleration onto a rock with my face. So, um I was really interested in trying to fix that damage. You know, I knew that I had CTE and those, you know, make you much more susceptible to, to developing dementia as you age. If you've had numerous traumatic brain injuries, I mean, you just have to look at, you know, football players, all these NFL players have had these problems, you know, gone off the deep end as, Mm. you know, as they're getting aging and, you know, Hernandez uh, killed some people and uh, some pretty crazy stuff happened from, from these traumatic brain injuries um, repeatedly 
throughout their lives. And so that's scary. So that kind of really was another motivation factor for, for me personally is why I started getting into psychedelics. I really wanted to try to reconnect those neural connections that were damaged in my traumatic brain injury. The, the, the scary thing about CTE, I mean, I know a lot of people who've had a lot of brain injuries and those aren't the type of people. I mean, most of them just want to drink alcohol. Worst you, thing you, you know, do. I mean, yeah. when you have those kind of injuries or if it's even PTSD, a lot of those guys tend to more like, you know, they're more apt to abuse alcohol Correct. in my experience. Mm. Um, and those aren't the kind of people who are more open minded about like smoking weed or psychedelics or MDMA or that kind of thing. You know, it's very rare, you know, and I've had the opportunity to expose some of my friends who have had like brain injuries to things like just marijuana or MDMA. And they've had, you know, an, a, an incredible amount of of recovery from it and they've experienced a lot of you know benefit from it um i'm I'm not sure about long term because it hasn't been that much of a time gap but um have you like what are the the studies like have there been any like long-term clinical studies on psilocybin when it comes to brain health or ptsd or or cte even because i think is it true that cte you can't even diagnose until the person's dead think so yeah it's a that's it right? autopsy yeah. they kind of go in and see the damage yeah they, you know there's there's better brain scans where you can see loss of blood flow mm. and stuff using fmris um, but i don't know if they can give a, an actual uh, diagnosis of ct and uh, without an autopsy okay yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the studies are undergoing really right now so they're they're evolving as far as like joe mentioned earlier it's only been you know over the last few years that the studies have fired back up but the initial reports coming back are very promising um, around uh, uh, neuroplasticity and, and increasing your brain cells and increasing your connections and your and your dendrite spines on your synapses that are how we think right and these things are growing stronger with uh, with microdosing of psychedelics over time is what it's showing um, you know wow. and back to you know your you know the people drinking alcohol and stuff like that a lot of that stuff is really blunting you're just trying to mm-hmm forget all your issues right along with antidepressants really so the a good promise of of what's uh, good about psychedelics is it it helps you deal with your issues rather than just blunt them and put them aside yeah. so there's a there's a great possibility that in a future where as people have these problems they're able to accept these problems and move on from them rather than a constant medication over years just to try to forget about it or self-medicate with alcohol or drugs, other drugs or weed or whatever. Um, but uh, psychedelics ha- give, you the, give you the ability to deal with your issues. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the, the people that I know that kind of push back on the idea of trying psychedelics or even marijuana are, you know, the people that are, like to be in control and their whole argument is against it. Like I don't like smoke it being high because I feel like I'm, I'm out of control or I'm, I can't control myself, but they drink, but they drink, and but then, and then they might smoke cigarettes or they drink right, coffee. Right. But the, I mean the art, I mean my whole thing is that like when, as far as marijuana, for example, it gives you, if you, as long as you get to the point where you're kind of like, for me personally, if I can get high to the point where I'm kind of on the fence of being like in hell or like meeting the devil or like going too far and like kind of being in like a balance of not being too high to where I have like I'm like having a bad trip, I can 
it gives me a alternative perspective on life or it gives me kind of a way to deal with the normal problems in my life from a different perspective or look at the normal everyday problems I'm experiencing on a subconscious level from a whole new perspective that I never would have thought of if I'm just going about my life on like the daily vibration. It gets you off of like the daily vibration of life. Psychedelics take that to the the next level. Um, Even at a microdose, it gives you like almost more empathy for yourself and for others, makes you more tolerant of situations and people and <laughs> it's um and at a macro dose um you get ego disillusionment so you, like your 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 ego dissolves so the little that's what's hard for people when they take a macro dose right they feel uh, anxious and nervous and because when you first do that it's very unnerving and people think oh i'm dying but you're not dying your ego's dying you're separating your brain is now separating itself from this little story that you've been telling yourself about yourself and your thoughts aren't really you, right? You know, uh, your thoughts, you should be the observer of your thoughts. Your thoughts come and go. They're not really who you are, you know? So um, it allows you to give that perspective. So it totally allows you to see yourself from a new perspective. Right, which is, that's hard to understand unless you've really experienced it, I feel like. <laughs> it is, it is. But you've, you've probably got a partway there with, yeah. with marijuana. Um, mm. Whereas the activation in your brain that you're getting with psilocybin is is will take that definitely to the next level if you like if you were really interested in seeing yourself outside of your the little story that you've been telling yourself your Mm -hmm. whole life um mushrooms can get you there for sure for somebody who's never tried psilocybin or never even tried microdosing what would be the benefits of microdosing and say say you're just like you know a the average everyday person who works in an office, they're in sales or whatever they're in, or they're like an entrepreneur, they're a small business owner. What is the benefit of venturing into microdosing? It's really about brain health and performance, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, All of our products are are around brain health and performance and it's centered around the potential of future legalization of of microdosing for that reason. But it kind of got fired back up as a microdose in the tech industry in Silicon Valley as as those workers were using it for productivity and creativity on on creating these new products over the course of the last 15 years. Um, And so and it spread out from there and people were realizing it like, hey, this my brain fog is kind of going away. I'm thinking better i'm reacting i have better relationships with my family and my coworkers as i'm microdosing so you know it's for us it's it's for our purpose it's really about being the best human being we can be through uh, through our cognition right mm-hmm. and 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 that's why we started microdosing and that's why we continue to do it so it obviously it eliminates the brain fog um and through brain scans, you you guys have been able to see like like dark areas become lightened up or like blood flow or or what is the actual science behind how it affects the brain? There's some really interesting uh, research being done on that where they're doing fMRIs, which really shows the blood flow to the brain and the activity of the brain. Um, yeah, I wish I had some slides to show you because there's there's some really cool stuff. I'm sure like, we could Google some slides. Oh yeah, like yeah, it's it's amazing. So like the brain, a normal firing brain, and then the brain on psilocybin and it's just colors like just mm. bang it's like so it allows what's interesting about these these serotonin um compounds is that they allow your brain cells to communicate laterally so they they say your brain uh neural connections that 
that fire together, wire together. So you have habitual behaviors that, so those neuron, those, those pathways are, are, are very secure and they run down the same pathway over and over. These are why like addiction and they have problems with addiction. These, they've ingrained this neural pathway. And so you, there's, you're doing it and there's a reward center at the end, right? But it allows when you take psychedelics, these neurons can now talk to the ones next to them rather than the one just straight down the line in that neural pathway. And this is why you get synesthesia when you take high dose psychedelics. So when you, what is that? Synesthesia is when you say like you can hear colors or you can taste colors or either where your, your neural, like your visual pathway is talking to your auditory pathway, which is really interesting. So that's why when like on a really big trip, you start seeing the walls start moving, colors become just popping out of when you're listening to music, you see, oh, a shade of purple comes through when you hear a certain note. And that's called synesthesia, where your senses are crossing over with each other. So your neurons are communicating in new ways. And this is what the basis of neuroplasticity is, where it allows workarounds. And this is why they think it really helps with, say, addiction or trauma uh, treatment is that, you know, you, these, you're reliving this little circular path in your brain and that, that trauma, right? And then you have a high dose of, of psychedelics and then you get a new neural network happening. So your brain cells that, that weren't talking to each other now are, and they kind of work around that stuck spot, at a, um, yeah, which is an int- really very interesting uh, how that works. Yeah, the, the default mode network, right? So um, this is kind of that constant talk in your head that you, that you tell yourself. And when you're on a psychedelic or particularly uh, psychedelic mushrooms, even a microdose, that calms down, right? So instead of the chatter in your head that you're normally dealing with, that starts to go away and it starts to make you more aware of your surroundings and, and more connected like to another. State? Yeah, it's, it increases and helps you get into that flow state. So I'm very right brain creative person and it is a real boost for that. So I will intently microdose on a day where I'm doing brainstorming sessions over product iterations or what we're going to do next in the business. And I, so I, I'm real intentional with, with what I'm using it for. And, I, and I'm, I'm a bit more of the kind of the outdoorsy, you know, adventure net. I love surfing, snowboarding, backcountry back snowboarding, big wave surfing, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I find microdose uh, is, when I surf, is the next level for surfing. It really, really gets me in the flow state, yeah, because it allows you to have that, you're not second guessing and it takes away that kind of um, maybe I shouldn't go on this one. And you just kind of, you're really in the flow state. You're just reading the waves. All you're thinking about is surfing and you're definitely right there at that time. You're not thinking about school or work or whatever your problems are. You really dialed into the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I find uh, microdosing mushrooms when surfing is, is the next level. We've had friends that, you know, microdosing and play golf for instance, and they're like, that sounds fun. it changes my game. They're like, I need it. I can't, like, their friends were saying it was shaving off strokes off their handicap. Yeah, four strokes off their game. Four strokes. How? Yeah. Because they, you're not overthinking? You're not overthinking it. So if he, it, he described it as that. So he's like, if I had a big, bad shot, that's it. The next shot is a brand new shot when I'm microdosing. He says, I'm not thinking about, he's a commercial realtor, and he's like, I'm not thinking about any deals. I'm not looking at my phone while I'm golfing. I'm, he's like, it, it took my golf game to a whole new level. He's like, I really can't golf without microdosing anymore. Wow. This is what he told me. So flow state, you know, it's, yeah. it definitely helps you stay in 
in the moment and your flow state and, yeah. and focus on what you're doing. I don't have trouble when I'm surfing, not thinking about anything. Like I'm, I'm just in automatically in my own little world. My, the internal voice is gone. So yeah. I don't, I wouldn't see an issue with that, but with golf, it's definitely a problem mm-hmm. because it's just so easy to overthink every little thing in golf. Definitely. So I could see how that would help with that. Yeah. Um, Endurance as well for surfing. It's amazing when you microdose in surfing, you never get tired. You have an endless gas tank. Really? Yeah. So I think there was the Chinese or something. They they dosed their runners with some uh, mushrooms back in the eighties or something. Cordyceps. 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 But yeah. I think there was rumors that they they had mixed stacked it with psychedelics, and they set all kinds of records. <laughs> they broke a bunch of awesome. distance records and stuff. Are there are there any other? athletes that are microdosing or using psilocybin for anything i mean is that even mma guys allowed mma guys are yeah for sure and they they reckon it it allows them to see movements and punches coming that little bit quicker they're reading people better um and seeing the seeing their you know the the next move faster so yeah there are there are mma guys that are microdosing really how long do you think it'll take before that it becomes like legally like Across the board. I mean, obviously, it's not even weed is not even legal in every state. That's the million dollar question, right? Everybody wants to know when's that going to happen, you know, federally. Um, We believe it's going to happen a lot quicker federally uh, because quicker than marijuana. Yeah. I mean, marijuana is still not there federally. Right. Right. So and and basically because of all the evidence that's coming out. Right. And the fact that it's helping um, tremendously with PTSD. Like they figure, um, you know, MDMA might be descheduled for um, this year or next year for that purpose. I mean, I think everybody on the political spectrum, no matter what side you're on, can get behind that we don't want uh, our veterans killing themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's showing great promise on turning that uh, PTSD around. So that's a good step into federal legalization as they deschedule this from a Schedule 1 um, on down to accepted medical use, right? Yeah. So, like, Schedule 1 means it's high abuse potential, which mush- magic mushrooms are not. They kind of have an anti-abuse system built in because if you if you take them regularly, you oversaturate those serotonin receptors and, receptors and they won't work. It's not like you can just keep doing it and take more and more and more and more. If you don't have a washout period, uh, those those receptor sites are not active and they're not uh, available to, to receive it. So you just will get no effect. Even though, so if you took like several grams, like dosed, like tripped every day, after a certain number of days, it would have zero effect, no matter how much you took. And the lethal dose of mushrooms, if you were to take magic mushrooms, I think I was reading it's about 75 pounds of dry mushroom powder or dry mushroom that you'd have to consume. It's physically impossible to To do. To overdose. To overdose. So you could have the most horrendous trip ever and you still wouldn't. Die. your body would not be harmed there's 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 no toxicity yeah. really mushrooms are the safest um drug that exists if you look at the chart alcohol is the most dangerous mushrooms are the least dangerous and if you drink a liter of vodka on an empty stomach there's a very good chance you're going right. to die you'll definitely die <laughs> you know yeah. so so that's not the case like i said i think you have to consume something around 75 pounds of dry dehydrated mushrooms to reach ld50 right that's a, and that's that's crazy to think about when you think about legalization and you think about the things that you can buy from the store and get prescribed. You can mm-hmm. you can get prescribed a bottle of pills, eat the whole thing, be dead. You can go to the store, buy a bottle of whiskey, drink it, be yeah. dead. Over the counter, you can buy a bottle of Tylenol. Right. If you take a bottle of Tylenol, you'll die. Yeah. And it's a very common way of people killing themselves, actually. Yeah. 
So mushrooms are the, the least dangerous, least addictive on top of it. So what about, I know a guy who, when he was in his te- young teens, he would took a lot of mushrooms. And now he has this thing where he always is hallucinating 24-7. Are you familiar with that? We've heard stories that, that there are. You know a person like this? Yes. So he's in a constant state of tripping. He's not necessarily like he's obviously he's there. He's lucid. He's conscious. He's not like tripping, tripping, but he has visual hallucinations. Like he sees things all the time. Like he sees little like thing like like lights moving around. Like he's getting he gets the visual, the visual hallucinations. That's interesting. I'd love to meet him and talk to him about it and he's learn got, more about it. He's actually he's got a huge YouTube channel. Uh, it used to be called All Gas No Breaks. Now it's called Channel Five. He goes around to these crazy events all over the world and he and he interviews people. It's right. it's, it's interesting um, because you know the. Your your body processes um, well. You, when you ingest magic mushrooms, there's compounds in the mushrooms, several tryptamine analogs, but there's psilocybin is the 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 well the most well known, right? Mm. But psilocin is actually the active. So psilocybin is the prodrug to psilocin, and psilocin is created when you dephosphorylate psilocybin. So there's a phosphate group onto on the psilocybin molecule, and it your stomach acid and the enzymes take that phosphate group off. Um, that allows it to become fat soluble, and then it can enter the bloodstream, go through the blood-brain barrier, uh, where it affects your neurons, where it actually goes to the receptor sites. So psilocybin itself does not enter the brain; it needs to be dephosphorylated, and so it's actually psilocin is is the psychedelic compound of the magic mushrooms. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, and mushrooms vary wildly in their concentration of those compounds. So this is something that we're working on, and through our research um, that we're doing. Uh, in Jamaica where we have uh, acquired a company down there where we can do our, our research um, legally. And so we can really understand a, what the different species, the different compounds that are contained in the mushroom, all the different tryptamine analogs, mm-hmm. like baocysteine, norbaocysteine. There's several and, and really trying to understand what those do for uh, the feeling of it and how it affects your body in, in that way. And even in creating standardized dosing. Cause if you have just a, a dose of powdered mushrooms, Powdered mushrooms, a mushroom can vary greatly from the stem to the cap, from one mushroom to the next, even on that's grown on the some, same strub, substrate. And they can vary from like 0.2 of a percent of psilocybin and psilocin up to 2%. So you, that's 10x, you know. So if you if you don't really know how much you're getting if you're just eating mushrooms, so the trips can vary widely. So, so if you were given three caps and a stem and Chris had three stems and a cap, you might really trip out because you might have 10x the amount of psychedelic like compounds. In it. it is a little bit. So, and that's what we hope to, 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 to do with our research down there is standardize the dosing so we know exact, do HPLC analysis of our, of our uh, extracts and our, our powders and know exactly how much uh, psilocybin, psilocin, and tryptamine analogs are there so we really understand what we're giving people for therapeutic doses. We like to help support the therapeutic industry down there. And then as well for our microdosing uh, for, for people, adult consumption. What are you guys' biggest like obstacles to, to bringing this to the market? Like say it does become legalized. Like who are you guys' biggest competitors? What are you guys' biggest obstacles you have to overcome? Because I'm sure, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but the farm, there's a lot of pharmaceutical drugs and companies that would not want, psilocybin mushrooms to become therapy because i'm sure like you know 
I don't know how many kids that are in college that are addicted to Adderall. I mean, yeah, almost every sure. kid I know, every person I know takes Adderall every single day. Yeah, yeah. And, Actually, uh, Sunbeam be, was uh, designed to, to as uh, so you wouldn't have to take Adderall. Really? Yeah. yeah. Take that same approach. A- so Adderall or Concerta um, are, you know, uh, dopamine reuptake inhibitors. Um, and, and our Sunbeam was actually designed to help boost the dopamine si- uh, uh, system so that you don't have to take a prescription Adderall and, and run the risk of that prescription medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, that The obstacles right now for psychedelics is really just public perception. It's still scared. Really? Like, yeah. Well, you, you said you were scared, right? right? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of, 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 of people that just don't know, and there's a lot of unknown about it, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And when you see people talking, you even hear the language about tripping. It just sounds... Uh, intimidating, mm. like I'm going to trip, and you say, you know, I'm going to lose control of yourself. But everybody that I've talked to that had fear before, that afterwards, they would say, what was I scared of, right? Mm. I d- it's so weird that I was scared of that because I didn't lose control. I actually gained control. Mm. I was more in control and aware of myself than I was lost control. Um, so it's just it's just a matter of getting over our... Um, our society's addiction to being told that the pharmaceuticals know more than what mother nature knows, right? So uh, there's a lot of companies out there in the psilocybin and psychedelic industry going right after pharmaceuticals, um, creating synthetic psilocybin, saying that nothing else matters uh, besides the psilocybin, so it doesn't have any different effect. But anybody who's taken mushrooms knows that there's a lot more to it, right? So different species have a different feeling. So there must be things that we still need to discover that um, that that tell the story of why one species of mushroom makes you energetic and, and, and get a lot of stuff done, and the other one is more of a visual experience. So there's all those tryptamines that Joe were talking about. So as the research starts to come out and as the stories start to come out, right? So... The research is, is great, and, and we love to look at the data and that, but there's so much of, uh, of our brain and psychedelics that um, you, you can't describe in, in words, and you can't really describe even in fMRI uh, or, or labs. It, it's more of a, you know, it's more of a spiritual experience, more of a something that um, you really, it's ineffable. You really can't say. And Can, as those stories come out, and people start to realize and experience it for themselves. I mean, right now they estimate 6 to 10 million people are regular microdoses in the United States. So, and I think it's, I think that's underestimating. I think it's actually greater than that. And, and as more research gets shown and starts to normalize, it's getting more and more. So it's, it's growing pretty rapidly. And, you know, biggest challenge, back to your question, was, you know, the pharmaceutical industry definitely is, is definitely, they have a very strong lobbying because they don't want to lose that, that revenue right. from those drugs, um, including SSRIs. Um, so it's multi, multi-billion dollar industries, all of those. And so they're probably the biggest resistance to getting laws changed is that those guys will lobby against it and they have very deep pockets, you know. So it will really take a, a public upwelling of of interest to get it to change i think on the federal level it seems like an an impossible feat honestly because of how much money is like these pharmaceutical companies have and with the ssris even with all the lawsuits and all the scams and all this all the 
freaking corruption going on with I, these I don't companies. Think you can stop the mycelium. The, myce- the mycelium wants to come out. It wants to be part of our world. Yeah, it's uh, it's our guiding uh, principle. Like we we keep saying, how do these things happen? Like our, since we started this company, just these incredible connections and everyone you talk to, it's like, well, would you like to you know connect with this scientists, researchers, and we'd like to do this. And every time I talk to someone, it's not only yes, but hell yes. How do I get involved? Really? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Every single person we talk to, and they're so interested in this, and they they see they see the benefit. It's I think it's inevitable. You know, timing, timing is you know it might be two years, might be three years, might be five. I don't know the timing, but it's going to happen. It will happen. It is inevitable. So what's tell me about the tell me more about the farm in Jamaica? Like how did that come about, and why Jamaica? Well, Jamaica is one of the only places where it's never been illegal. Right. So it's not that it's like specifically legalized. It's just never been recognized as a substance to to be illegal. So it's really uh, an opportunity to do basically cuffs off research where you can really experiment, create, you know, different consumer products, try them legally, have other people try them, get um, actual feedback um, outside of the world of regulated clinical trials in the United States, right? So there is definitely a place for that, um, but there's definitely a a place for the future of responsible adult consumption as well. Um, And so Jamaica allows for that because when you do research around the Schedule One drug in the United States, it's very, very hard, expensive, and controlled. And we're working on our own um, license to to have controlled substance in the United States. And it's a process even getting to do that. So it allows us to fast forward in Jamaica as well. And Jamaica is a wonderful place, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place to go visit. Mm-hmm. And the people there are amazing, and they are very interested in promoting the, the psychedelics on the island as a, as a place to conduct research, and we're happy to be a part of it. A lot of the big uh, marijuana growers in the country, they grow in Jamaica too, right? There's a lot of marijuana farms out there, a lot of a lot of big marijuana business being done in Jamaica. They, it did. It kind of came and went. There's okay. a, Jamaica's a little jaded because of that because, you know, Jamaica forever was known for great weed, right? So it's like, oh, that's, that's the best ganja coming out of Jamaica. And so a lot of big companies, when the cannabis boom was really going there, kind of took advantage of that, swooped in made a lot of deals and kind of fizzled out really for Jamaica. So a lot of the business people in Jamaica are a little leery of the cannabis industry because they kind of kind of came, took their goods, went elsewhere with it and uh, and are profiting from and kind of left the island a little high and dry. So mm-hmm. we don't want that to happen in the psychedelic industry. You know, we're we're interested in in doing business in Jamaica and bringing business to Jamaica through different uh, conferences and events and, and really put the focus in and give back to Jamaica while we're there. Hmm. What, what is, I heard a little bit about how um, psychedelic mushrooms and psilocybin affects people with cancer too. Have you guys, do you guys know anything about that? that? Like what, like I've heard a lot of people who, who um, have been diagnosed with cancer. They've, they've, taken psychedelics or they've taken uh psilocybin and they've had experiences that sort of help them like work through it and even like like through like because when you get diagnosed with cancer obviously there's a huge amount of depression people go through and it's, it's like, like a curse it's like a curse it's a right? modern day curse yeah you, know? you when, believe what the doctor tells you you know right. and it's it's terrifying if you get a diagnosis of you know this is fatal 
or, you know, you are at stage four and it's, of course, then anxiety and depression is going to, anxiety is going to creep in first, followed quickly by depression, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Or I have the potential of dying very soon. I thought I was going to live to be forever. You know, we all think we're going to live forever, but psychedelics allow you to, again, kind of step outside that ego, that ego feeling like, oh, me, me, I'm going to die. And you just understand that there's a bigger thing happening here and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, I am going to die, but everyone's going to die and that's okay. Right. (laughs) Like it's almost like it's uh, when you get cursed with that diagnosis, it Mm -hmm. almost accelerates death in some people. It can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the, uh, that modern curse is, is very real. Like people say, doctor, you got six months to live and it's remarkable. How many people, not that the doctor knew exactly that the disease progression was going to kill him in that amount of time, but it was the curse. Yeah, that, that, yeah, they believe it. They believe if you believe you're going to die in six months, you know what? You're going to die in six months. Mm. The the placebo or nocebo effect there is is very real. It's not um, it's not false medicine to think that we can um, cure ourselves or you know or even contribute to our own demise by our own thinking. The brain is very powerful. Our body is very powerful. And so when you take something and you believe it, that's part of the reason. That's part of the medicine, right? You're essentially the medicine. Your belief in that medicine is part of what makes it work, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I heard something recently, too, even about when talking about placebos. I forget who it was, but they were talking about, like, they took a, a test group of people, like 10 people where they actually had, like, ligament uh, injuries in their knees, and they, they actually gave them surgery on their ligaments. And other, another group of 10 people where they just made an incision in their skin and stitched them up, and... Uh, and they actually believed they had the surgery and it like healed their knees. Yeah. So it just shows you like the power of the mind is like absolutely incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. So when some of these initial studies that are coming out saying, Hey, microdosing is only the placebo effect. Mm. Um, if it's only the placebo effect, that's great because that means our body is healing ourselves and help, helping us be better. You know, I don't, personally believe that i believe that there's a lot more to it because there's other mm-hmm. studies that show that it's increasing your uh, neuroplasticity and, and your neurogenesis so um I th- it's definitely a combination yeah you know you're t- stepping back to like ssris and stuff and there's been meta studies done on those showing that they're somewhere in the neighborhood of the placebo effect you know that's their, that's their efficacy rate is right around 24 25 percent which mm-hmm. is Placebo is like twenty three and a half, so it's it's like it's slightly better, more uh, more effe- efficacious than than the placebo effect. And these are drugs that make billions of dollars and cause actual damage to people. You know these these drugs are addictive. You can't just like if you get an SSRI and you're taking this stuff for years, you can't just quit. Like quitting is, is fatal. You can have a fatal reaction to just stopping taking your your antidepressant. So, mm-hmm. and these things cause structural changes in your brain you know you're you're limiting the reuptake of a neurotransmitter which you know has its own problems it does you know and if you know people that are that take ssris all the time but they they kind of blunt your existence right so you don't get super happy you don't get super sad you just kind of live in meh land yeah the problem though with people like that is is when you're in that state of mind like that depressed state of mind a lot of those people they don't have the mentality of like I'm in control of this I can figure out a a, pro- a solution to this problem they just they listen to the doctor and the doctors mo- you know a lot of the doctors are courted by these pharmaceutical companies and like they're you know you got to sell these or you know pump these and you're going to make more money 
and trip to Hawaii, you know, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and you know, when you're in that state of mind, the depressed state of mind and your doctor saying, take these, it's going to help you. You're not, you're, that's not someone who's going to be like, you know what? I think I can figure out something better. They're, they're not in that state of mind to explore. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's a generational change of that is happening though. That, that, you know, as you go to our parents' age, which were super accepting and, and just did what the doctor was told. Um, and as you go down younger, I think just through our technology and, and show, social media and sharing actual stories, that those, that's starting to change. Like they're not going to be able to have the the power of, of, of influence as they once did as uh, as you start to get ready, readily available stories, whether TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, of people telling you alternatives to it, right? Yeah, we and, just have so much access to more information now. You know, like if we, you know, 15 years ago, you, you wouldn't have known all these, all the podcasts that are out there and all the information on the internet that you can just look up and, and go, okay, wow, this is how this mechanistically works in the body and understand it. Um, you know, we, we live in the age of information now. And so, and I heard a quote was, it was like, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Mm. You know, so you're actively choosing not to educate yourself if, uh, on these, if that's something that you want to learn about, your, your own health and your brain health. And, and um, you know, I see, I see psychedelics really helping open people's mind to the possibilities that are out there. You mentioned earlier something about synthetic. There's companies that are doing synthetic mushrooms, and it's not even mushrooms. It's just psilocybin. Yeah, they're chemically making and manufacturing it, and so which which is great because it gives them an isolated compound to study. However, it doesn't have all the uh, the entourage effect of all the other tryptamine analogs, and it's exceedingly expensive right now. I think it's something like sixteen hundred dollars a dose. Where I mean, mushrooms. If you grow mushrooms, it's they're almost free. I mean, you grow them on like you can grow them on coffee grounds or grass or i mean there's all kinds of substrates you can grow your mushrooms on or grains or whatever um and so to and so the dosage to, you know for the medicine should not cost sixteen hundred dollars a dose it's insane where now who's making the stuff that's sixteen hundred dollars a dose it's the big the big pharmaceutical companies that really? are studying it right now yeah, yeah. so it is it's, it's quite expensive to make in the lab i mean it, just by its nature versus growing out a mushroom. Um, so, um, but you know, for those studies, and this is why these studies are not everything, you've got to have the perfect exact, um, same inputs over and over and over again. And you can do that in the synthetic world a lot easier than you can do it in the naturals. There's so many different types Correct. of mushrooms. Yeah. Like what, what is it that makes the perfect mushroom for this? Like, like what is in one of these magic mushrooms? Oh, well there's different, like what makes them different from the ones that that don't make you trip oh like well you know it, there's several different species there's about 200 roughly identified species that um that contain the the tryptamine analogs like psilocybin psilocin and biocysteine norbiocysteine so mm -hmm. there's been about 200 identified so far there's probably many more there's like mm -hmm. literally millions it's the most mushroom fungi are the that, you know, they, they populate the earth and they're inside of us. They're on our skin. They're in your guts. Like mm -hmm. the fungi are everywhere. They, our planet, our life wouldn't exist without, without that, the third kingdom there. And they're not actually plants, right? That's what I've No, so like, if people call plant medicine, it, it drives me a little bit crazy because <laughs> fungi are not plants. They're their own kingdom. There's the, the animal kingdom. There's the plant kingdom. And then there's the kingdom of fungi, a totally separate kingdom. So it's not like. They're not plants. They're, mm. It would be like saying animals are plants. If mm. you say a fungi is a plant, it's, they're not. They respire. They consume oxygen and give off 
CO2, more like an animal uh, than, a, than a plant. Mm. You know, that's why they're there. And they're, they're, they're the greatest recyclers on the, on the planet. Like without, without fungi, we would, or nothing would decompose, you know, and give back, you know. And there's that, I don't know if you've watched Fantastic Fungi. It's a, a great documentary and, you know, really explains the, the connection between plants and fungi and animals and, and how plants and trees, particularly forests, without their mycorrhizal networks of fungi would not get the nutrients out of the soil to grow so they they they're symbiotic they need mm. each other just like we're symbiotic organisms with bacteria yeasts and fungi within our our digestive tract and, and wow. having a healthy gi tract means having uh, a plethora of flora a diversity of flora in our in our gut microbiome so we can digest food these things actually create hormones and create neurotransmitters and most of the neurotransmitters are created in your gut not in your brain so, so this is our poor diets and stuff are probably causing some of the, our, our mental problems in our society because we're not creating the right neurotransmitters. So we have a, a deficit of the correct neurotransmitters. Our neurotransmitters more are created in our gut? Correct. Really? Correct. How is that? Though that's where they're manufactured, right? So that's the transmitter. The neurotransmitters are actually created by certain bacteria, yeast, fungi. So it's like these things are actually symbiotic we're, we're symbiotic organisms there's more other organisms living inside of us than there are us right by count by cell count so if you or if you counted all the organisms living inside our digestive tract there's more of them than there are of your own cells in your body mm, that makes sense by number that makes sense wow yeah that's mind-blowing it is isn't it yeah, yeah. so Obviously, the reason you guys started this was for things like Alzheimer's or like like maintaining like a sharp brain into like later age, right? Yeah, that's you know one of one of the main um, the main reasons for sure. And you know, uh, for me again, like as I mentioned, traumatic brain injury recovery was a, a big motivation factor in protecting my brain as we age. Mm -hmm. But it, it has a greater purpose. You know, these these medicines have a greater purpose as it. it like I, said, I mentioned empathy before mm -hmm. and connectivity. It really makes you feel more connected to your fellow man and the earth. So if you, you said just your first time, if you've never, if you've never had a mushroom experience, if you have a slightly larger dose, even just a slightly larger dose than a microdose, you'll find that when you're walking outside, you just stop and look at the leaves on the trees and just like appreciate nature. And you feel more, you feel a connectedness to it that you, you've never felt before. And if you ever, do decide to do a, a higher dose experience like out in nature in the woods or in the mountains or whatever, you will feel an immense connectivity to mother nature that, that doesn't go away after the experience that, you, and so we hope that that kind of feeling is, you know, helps people realize a little bit more that we are connected to our planet. We're not separated from our environment and we need to like, you know, wake up yeah. and stop trashing our planet. Yeah. And, and that's great. But I feel like, you know, the way that this, it's going to become more accepted is by, is by actually fixing real problems, you know, like, so I guess what I'm trying to get at is what is the lowest hanging fruit as far as like fixing certain things like depression or PTSD or whatever, like what is the lowest hanging fruit that's a therapy that this could be a therapy for? Well, you know, part of what we'd like to talk about at first person is let's not break it in the first place, right? So to me, the lowest hanging fruit um, of, of taking care of your brain through supplementation and mushrooms and potentially psychedelics as they start to legalize is um, 
dealing with it on the day-to-day basis, like realizing that you want to take care of your brain just like you go to the gym. You want to take care of your brain every day and not let it get to the point where you have to fix something, right? right. So we can be proactive rather than reactive. So to us, the, the, the low-hanging fruit is let's not break it in the first place. Let's, you know, through microdosing, through um, uh correct diet and lifestyle and supplementation and taking these things that are healthy for your brain that maybe you don't get to the point where you're so uh, anxiety ridden and depressed that you need to take a therapeutic dose ever. Maybe it's a microdose uh, over time that just makes you more aware of yourself and more connected with your life so that you don't get broken. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, the, I would say we're starting with these products, that, that these yeah. functional mushroom products. that we They're gr- beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, even, they, like, the actual capsules themselves. They're like, very cool. They look they? like a, a piece of modern art with, like, the little colors inside, the clear capsules. Yeah. The micro beadlets are great, aren't they? Yeah, they're fantastic. So what are the, the beadlets are actual, like, they're, like, that's the it's the powders inside them. They've okay. just been encapsulated in an all-natural coloring, um, like a blueberry Turmeric. Turmeric. Yeah. Just yeah. help guide, get it guided into your digestive tract yeah. to the right place to be released. Like my, wi- my wife's never been interested in like any of the lion's mane shit that I always take or all these different supplements I'm always testing that Dom sends me. She sees this. She's like, ooh, what's that? I love the pastels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, we did a, they got the marketing team did a great job creating that. You know, it was, it, 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 they're beautiful. Yeah, they they, they look amazing. And we grow those mushrooms ourselves at our farm in Washington too. So oh, you guys have a farm in Washington? Yes. Yeah, so we have a... a an organic um, medicinal mushroom farm in uh, Olympia, Washington. And then that's where we grow uh, these mushrooms for these supplements. And so that's where really we started, you know, in the, in, with this is we, we couldn't find the mushrooms that we wanted um, on the market. Um, I think just prior to the, the start of this, I mentioned that the, in, in the, in the, the, uh, the functional mushroom world, there's a little bit of shenanigans that go on and, you know, people sell, powdered grains as mushrooms and uh, we didn't want that in our product we're pretty keto and and we don't just want to take a bunch of rice powder or oat powder so um, we grow whole fruiting body mushrooms and we cultivate the mycelium in a liquid culture and then we strain that out and we combine the mycelium with the pure fruiting body no grains and then we do an extraction process and we spray dry that so we have a very highly concentrated pure full fungus uh, powders that we use. So we're really proud of that. And we're, we're developing a, a B2B business, supplying a few select brands with those powders as well here in the United States. How did you guys get connected with Dom D'Agostino? Uh, Dom has a pretty, uh, pretty big story in our uh, existence really. And, and uh, it, it goes back to, I don't know, as years ago, one of his first appearances on Joe Rogan and uh, I was listening to it and this was at the time Joe and I were just, uh, my brother Joe and I were, were just trying to figure out how to, what to do in this whole uh, brain health and, and, uh, and Alzheimer's prevention world and listening to Dom talk with Joe about keto and all that. It was just like it clicked and it's like, this is it. This is one of the pieces of the puzzle is um, the, the ketogenic diet for brain health. And so that just kind of led us down into that path. And, and we, as we we're going to different conferences, uh, Joe ended up meeting um, Dom at a conference. Yeah, at a Metabolic Health Summit, a, mm. Dom, a conference that Dom is part of. And it's a, that's a medical conference they, they hold every year out in California. It's, it's fantastic. You know, all the greatest researchers on 
cancer, anything metabolic health, you know, cancer as a metabolic disease, uh, Alzheimer's, you know, Del Bredesen spoke at that conference. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with him. He wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's. It really outlines kind of the mechanisms by which it, you get Alzheimer's that you causes the epigenetic factors that trigger that cascade of, uh, of for your brain to, to, to get develop Alzheimer's dementia. And so um, I was attending there really to hear Bredesen speak. And then Dom, I met him there because he was part of that conference. Right. And then we struck up a conversation. And, you know, we have a very personal story about our father having dementia and stuff. And Dom was interested. And so we just kept going from there. And then Dom is, is, is one of our advisors on first mm -hmm. person. So we're helping us design some our studies and uh, a couple of patent applications we have in on bioavailability and stuff of um, – psychedelics and stuff so we're, we're working with dom to continue to do some more research yeah diet is super connected to uh things like alzheimer's right like diet's one of the leading causes of alzheimer's like ba a bad diet i think yeah lifestyle in general that's part of it you know so there's mm -hmm. there's it's multimodal there's lots of causes but uh, the standard american diet the sad diet definitely right. top on the list of of uh, what's helping what's causing these uh cognitive issues whether it's Alzheimer's in later age or just in general uh, right now anxiety mm -hmm. depression a lot of that you can go back to improper diet yeah and alcohol consumption you know chronic alcohol consumption um you know I look at our own, our dad's own disease and I th it was obviously multimodal and we have the genetic markers for Alzheimer's ourselves, which really motivate us to make those lifestyle changes but then we look back on his life and he, he worked very hard he was an electrical engineer and uh, he commuted like an hour each way to where we live. We, you, you know, raised us on a country property so we didn't have to live in the city. So he commuted an hour each way to work into the, into the plant. He probably got a pretty heavy metal exposure. They were manufacturing tele, <clears throat> telecommunication switchboards there um, at that plant for AT&T. And then, um, but he would come home and have one or two drinks, like on the nightly, you know, one or two rum and cokes. Mm. And the, he didn't know. You know, he's on edge. We people didn't know what we didn't know that we know now that he was just having a, a bolus of sugar and a bolus of alcohol every night, which probably restricted his ability to sleep deeply and get restful sleep. Whereas glial cells open up and you flush out those toxins from metabolic processes that really only happens in, in deep sleep that they're, they're starting to figure out through research. And it's like, well, if alcohol limits your ability to get into that deep cycle of sleep and you did that chronically over 40 or 50 years, bang, there you go. shave a few years off. Well, it's just, it just allows that beta amyloid plaque to build up, which they think is like it's actually a response from the brain trying to protect itself. The plaque that's in the brain, right? Yeah, yeah these neural, these these tangles, these tau tangles and, and uh, beta amyloid tangles that cause, and they really think that's almost like an autoimmune problem. It's an over-response of the brain trying to protect itself from neuroinflammation. And... The fact that he never got into that deep cycle sleep, maybe chronically for years and years and years, allowed that plaque to build up and really and, and causes disease progression. Which is Have you ever heard of anyone talk about like having psychedelic experiences after fasting for a long period of time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, what, yeah. what is the connection with that? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about, like, a, a lot of people that have messed around with fasting for more than, like, seven to ten days. Yeah. They said they get this crazy, like, like euphoric, almost, like, psychedelic euphoric feeling after, like, six days. Yeah, I've done seven-day fasts. Have you? I didn't, I never, I mean, I just felt great. I, I was yeah. charging, you know. I was, I, I felt amazing. Like, um, I didn't really feel like I was tripping, but I felt really good. I felt really cognitively sharp. 
I was still working out, you know, and I wasn't tired, mm-hmm. you know, which makes sense as, you know, fasting as, an, as we evolved, right? If, if we got tired and lethargic when we were in a fasted state, we would have never evolved. We would have died out because right. fa- famine would have been part of the right. human evolution. And so actually you get more cognitively alert when you're hungry, right? Because you're not digesting. You're not diverting. And it takes a lot of energy to digest food. And a lot of your immune system, the majority of your immune system surrounds your gut lining because per- that's the only import endpoint for pathogens to enter our bloodstream is our digestive system. So the whole digestive tract is lined with your immune system. It's concentrated around your digestive tract. So when you're eating, you're stimulating di- digestion, but you're also you're stimulating your immune system. So when you're fasting, it takes all that energy that you're putting to digestion and your immune system, and you've got it elsewhere. It allows your brain's got more energy. So, and it's like, okay, you got to wake up to go out. I need to go find food. You know, I need to eat. You know, so that's why uh, you become more alert when you're in a fasted state. Yeah, there's uh, there's also I think the digestive system builds up like this plaque, which is what I know. Like I did a seven day fast. I tried to do a seven day fast. I only got through five days. I, I caved after five days. But on the fifth day, I was like, I told Dom multiple times, I was able to do three times the amount of pull ups I normally do, and I had I was able to play basket like full court basketball for like an extra hour and a half Amazing. without having that like side cramp, the stitch cramp or like that completely exhausted, fatigued feeling. And, uh, you know, that's what, that's what sold me on that. Now I do it like once a year, but, um, yeah, I, I wonder if on the psychedelic where people are reporting that, I wonder if that has something to do with the endogenous DMT that we have in our, in our bodies. And maybe some of that's getting released to help, you know, we're, we're at seven we're at 10 days it's like stimulating us to you you better go find some food evolutionary um i wonder mm. if that has something to do i've done seven day fasts as well but mm. i've not experienced any kind of psychedelic effect from that it's super interesting how i didn't realize like how the gut was so important to everything in your body like your to your brain to your well, there's a second brain nervous system. You know, there's an enormous amount of neurons that surround your gut as well. So they call it the second brain. There's, there's so many neurons that surround your gut lining and are connected directly to the brain through the vagus nerve. So, um, the vagus nerve. Yeah. Which is a wandering nerve. That's a really big nerve system that runs up from your gut to your brain. Okay. So, and that, uh, that connection is, you know, they're starting to figure that out a little bit more, you know, say, you know, you have a gut feeling. Yeah. Your brain and your gut might be telling you to make that decision literally <laughs> so that gut feeling might be your second brain telling your first brain hey no right. we don't want to do that that's dangerous or no that don't trust that person or whatever that gut's telling you right listen to it intuition is is powerful and it's it's there for a reason we've developed it over billions of years as yeah. we've evolved so I mean, yeah, that explains when an animal hasn't eaten for seven days it has to be more alert so we can catch prey right so we can catch food and and become fed. What what have uh, what have you guys done as far as like research on like dieting? What's the best diet uh, to keep your gut healthy? And to and and how along with that, how what do you guys supplement with your diets as far as like stuff like this or different types mm-hmm. of mushrooms, psilocybin? How often do you do it? Like, what's optimal in your guys' experience? Well, for diet, you know, diet is very individual. There's no one diet for everyone. That's just, that's a fallacy. If anyone tells you that, they're trying to sell you something. There is no one diet. You know, it is really individual. Um, I follow a pretty ketogenic diet um, and drifting more towards carnivore, um, keto, 
now um, for me. It really works for me at my age. I, I, I feel great. Um, I you know I measure my blood work, and so my triglycerides are good. My free testosterone is good. So I eat a lot of meat, red meat, fish, eggs, um, some vegetables, um, you know, like broccoli, you know, sweet potatoes and stuff now and again. I don't eat a lot of green leafy vegetables. I find they're a little bit disrupting to my gut right now. Um, but again, I think it's finding your own path with your diet. Obviously, we can't eat. I mean, as humans, we shouldn't be eating these processed packaged foods uh, that are just made with poison. You know, really, some of these things shouldn't even be considered food. And um, these industrial seed oils that are being fed to us uh, are a huge problem in our diets. It's a massive. It's it's probably more of a problem for diabetes and obesity than than overconsumption of carbohydrate. It's these seed oils like rice bran oil, canola oil, sunflower seed oil. These high omega six um, oils were not ever in our diets as we evolved, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, 100 years ago, they made up about 2% of our diet, and today they make up about 12%. And it's it's really being correlated with ill health. Uh, you can look at countries around the world that haven't adopted these seed oils into the diet. They don't have all these problems. They don't have these obesity problems. They don't have, uh, you know, dementia skyrocketing because d- obesity, diabetes, and Alzheimer's dementia perfectly correlate on a graph. As they're going up, as one goes up, the other two go up. You know, they're all, they, they're hand in hand. They're linked to our diets. Are these seed oils, are they in foods without us even knowing it? They're in everything. Oh, really? They're in everything. Yeah. Everything fried that you're getting from out in a restaurant is fried in an omega-6 oil, uh, seed oil. Um, very rarely would you find something unless it's a really purposeful, healthy restaurant that is frying something and more like a coconut oil. But that that's few and far between right now. Anything pretty much packaged you're going to get a lot of uh, omega-6 seed oils in Um, so you have to be very purposeful about your diet to flip that and try to get more omega-3s in through salmon and 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 sardines and things like that Um, or grass-fed pasture-raised ruminant animals like beef or elk or lamb things like that 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 um, but if you if you grain feed an animal like feed it full of corn you are actually getting that omega-6 now from the grain through the animal to you. Whereas if you go and purposely get pasture-raised animals, that is, that's, that's feeding on grass and plants, those grains don't ever get to your body either. So you you got you to gotta think about what you're eating, but you also got to think about what you ate, what you're eating, what they ate. All right. I always see. I always thought that most things were cooked in like olive oil. Like, what are the good oils are olive oil, and what else? What are like the good oils? Olive oil has is 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 good in in you know in moderation because yeah. um, it has a pretty high omega six content. But it, um, olive oil is great. I, I love olive oil. Um, I eat a lot of butter, ghee. Mm-hmm. Um, when I cook for myself at home, I use lard, uh, particularly if I'm like stir frying or cooking at high temperature. And everyone's like, "Oh, lard, yeah, like lard." I render my. I make my own bone broths. So really? the fat that comes off the the bones and floats to the top, I I strain that off and and cool it back down and put it in the tub and use that for cooking. And then that is that is wow. And I buy grass fed um, bones, so uh, I know that the fat that's there is it's really high steric acid. It's you know saturated fat has been demonized uh, falsely 
and you know, we, we need saturated fats. It's essential for human survival. It actually causes you to lean out. Mm-hmm. If you take, if you eat more saturated fat, you will be a leaner person than if you're eating other fats. Yeah, but the pro- isn't the problem that you tell people that, but then they also mix in like lots of carbs and fried stuff at the same time, and that could be deadly, that's right? That's deadly, yeah. That's the exact wrong combination. If you throw saturated fat, like, you know, the, the worst thing you could possibly eat probably is a donut. Mm-hmm. You know, it is right. it is gluten fried in terrible oils covered in sugar right. you know it's literally like toxic <laughs> right know? so if you think like you know i want to eat more red meats eat more butter eat more of that fat but i'm also going to have you know a donut for breakfast yeah, yeah then that's 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 a deadly combo that's a bad combo yeah but that's a hard thing though, or because chips it's, right or chips. french fries yeah. or any of that stuff you know we're talking carbs cooked in in problems in like french fries and, and potato chips and stuff is those the oils when they're when they're cooking at high temperature like that those oils get damaged and they become you know they become worse they become hydrogenated oils which is even mm-hmm. even worse for our system because it's more like plastic at that point mm-hmm. so um yeah the fried food unfortunately is really a no-go unless you're doing it yourself and you're frying it in coconut oil or lard or ghee where do you get bones like where do you buy bones and get yeah. lard and stuff like that yeah so um, you can just buy that like Whole Foods or oh spread. really? Yeah, you can buy usually in the frozen okay. section. There'll be a bag of grass fed bones, and I just take. I've got a an Instapot and throw in my Instapot with some water. Usually throw like a bay leaf in there and then uh, throw it in. And two hours later, you've got beautiful bone broth. Are they cow bone? Yeah, they're just cow. They, they tell you what kind of they market what kind of bones they are. When yeah, you okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're cattle. Yeah, it's beef. Yeah. It's okay. beef. Yeah. But if you can buy local too, right? So you could yeah. you could go to someone, you know, not far out of here that's uh raising their own beef and, you know, buy a quarter beef and ask for the bones and they just kinda throw the bones in for nothing. You end up getting all these bones in your freezer for free. Mm-hmm. That's what I do with lamb and local beef. Um and I'm fortunate right now that my brother in law got a big elk, so I'm stocked full of elk and, and some elk bones to go with that that I'm making my bone broth. It's oh, delicious. Wow. Yeah. What, what about like um, like the like the organ meats and stuff like that? Do you guys eat a lot of like I, that I, stuff, like hearts, liver, I, and yeah. brains and stuff? I do. I feed it to my children as well. Really? So, yeah. Like um, I've kind of created this recipe um, where I have a butcher. I I live in. I've been living in Australia for the past kind of sixteen years. So I have a, a, a local butcher down there that'll make up. I order send like ten pounds of mince meat, and then to that I I add four pounds of heart, four pounds of liver. And two pounds of suet, and suet is is the fat that's stored above the kidney. Um, so, and it's very high steric acid, almost pure steric acid. And so that gets ground up into my mince, and then he just like puts that in individual little vacuum bags, and I break it out and cook burgers and make taco mince or whatever that the kids want to eat. But it it tastes more like you're eating. Like if you make a burger out of that stuff, it tastes like you're eating a ribeye. It's amazing, really, and it's so nutritious because the nutrient density of of liver and heart is way higher than just muscle meat. And you can just go to your local butcher and get this stuff. If you can get yeah. a butcher to do it for you, he just has to order them in because they don't normally carry heart, liver, and suet, but they can get it. And really? Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm no joke. It is amazing. And it, it, it is very affordable. It's not like you have to eat ribeyes to be, you know, to afford this kind of thing. Like uh, my uh, drops, the organ meats are, they almost give them to you. They're a couple dollars a pound, mm-hmm. you know, versus like $12 a pound for the mincemeat, you know? So it's just like averages out to like six or eight bucks by the time they mix it all together. It's pretty cheap, pretty cheap eating and it's super healthy. Yeah. I don't even know if there's any local butchers around here that do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I know I, know, I have like butcher box. Like I, you know, I've heard of that kind of yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and uh, there'll be local butchers that do it. They'll be just outside of the city. They'll, you'll have uh, ranchers out there um, where you can take it and take it to the butcher 
and tell them what you want and order it that way. So when you, and particularly if you like take a quarter of a beef, um, which you can probably fit in your freezer, mm-hmm. particularly if you have a, gar- a garage or a fridge, um, then you can just tell them like, I want the organ meats uh, put into the ground meat and nobody else on that, uh, the other three quarters of that beef, they probably didn't ask for the organ meat. So you mm-hmm. end up getting them all for nothing basically. Um, because a lot of people don't know how to prepare them, don't know to eat them. But when you put them in the ground beef, everybody loves it. Uh, really? It's so delicious. I bet Dom might know. Dom oh. would definitely know. He knows. Yeah. He lives 20 minutes from here. Yeah. yeah, and he has cattle. Yes, he does, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you live in Australia right now? I have done, yeah. Yeah, I'm just relocating back to North America right now. I've been down there for a long time. But, uh, well, I just this- now noticed your accent. Is that, did you just let it out right now? Or did I, am I now just he like... said minced instead of ground. Uh, like, uh, no, one, no one knows what minced is here. Oh, right. Yeah. No, no, I know what minced is. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've been I've been down there for, for some bit. With the, uh, this company, uh, I'm, I'm back here in North America now. I'm just staying, for the, okay. at least for the, the foreseeable future. Okay, I was just like, did you just travel from, from Australia, like the last two days uh just a couple yeah last week two weeks ago so yeah so i'm uh, fresh on the ground wow what's it been like in australia during uh all this pandemic and stuff like that all you see in the news around here is how crazy it's been it's been a little you know i western australia uh did an amazing job of because it's so isolated you know Mm. it's separated even from the rest of australia by an enormous desert they did an amazing job of keeping COVID out all right they it was it was there was no COVID, no community COVID spread in, in western australia until about two months ago when they decided to open the borders up. Um, living there was difficult. Um, as I went back, uh, we started this company in the last year. Um, I've gone back and forth, what, three times, four times now. And each time I went back, I had to do two weeks of hotel quarantine. So they take you from the airplane, escort you to military escort to a hotel room, and they lock the door. They don't lock the door. It's open. But they say, if you step outside this door, one foot outside is $1,000. If you step in the hallway, it's $5,000. If you leave the building, $50,000 fine, six months in jail. Oh, my God. That's insane. They're not joking. And they enforce it. So uh, they did – I mean, I have to give them respect is that they, they protected, protected the community. They mm-hmm. got their vaccination rate very high, and then they opened the borders. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, COVID's going wild there right now. It's spreading around. Omicron spreading like crazy. But their deaths are super low because everyone's vaccinated. So, you know, they, you know, mm. so they yeah, maybe they handled it right. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. Uh, time will tell. But uh, I, I, it was torturous for me because I am a very social person. I'm a surfer. I'm an outdoor kind of guy. So to be locked in a hotel room where I couldn't get fresh air was torture. So you live near you near like like uh, you said, Western Australia, Perth. Yeah. So where do you surf? Um, Perth has uh, beach breaks and stuff. Is that and near we, Snapper, like Snapper Rocks and Kira? And opposite all side of the country. Opposite side, okay. Yeah, this, our waves are a little bit bigger and meaner on the West Coast. So oh, okay. uh, we, we're, we're facing the, the southern Indian Ocean. So our, our swells come from just south of South Africa okay. and uh, the Margaret River region. I don't know if you've ever seen the Margaret oh, River yeah. Pro. Oh, so yeah. Margie's, uh, that's kind of where I go surf. We have an island just off the coast of Perth. I surf there a lot, Rottnest Island. There's a crazy wave right next to the Margaret River uh that right hand wave was like it's like a crazy like mutant looking the box wave. the box the yes. box yeah a friend of mine got seriously injured there broke his back uh really? just earlier this year yeah yeah so you yeah that's, surf the box nope i don't like hitting rocks <laughs> um i got into tow surfing with my friends a few years ago so i like we use jet skis and tow into the bigger stuff out the back on some of the bombies mm-hmm. so that's that's the good. bombies the bombies yeah <laughs> the, the offshore bombies there's a few big ones out there cow bombie is one that's kind of kind of world famous it's it's uh-huh. it's kind of in the same class as jaws and oh and really it gets yeah it gets 60 70 80 foot it gets big but most of the breaks out there are rocky right 
it's all reef break. Well, I mean, there's there's beach breaks along there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we in the southwest is predominantly uh, mm-hmm. rocky reef. And as you go north, uh, tropical reef. Like I don't know if you've ever looked it up, but there's some amazing waves in the northwest. Yeah, yeah amazing. Uh, yeah. Tomb, tombstones. Is I, have, I have a, I have a lot of good friends that go out there all the time. One of my good friends who actually was uh, born and raised here, like five minutes from here, in this. You know, there's no surf in the west coast of Florida, but he's uh, his name's Corey Lopez. He's a professional surfer, and he surfed on the world tour for yeah. a long time. And he goes there all the time. And you know, they go and they hunt all these waves that have never been discovered, and they find little islands off of Australia. And yeah, there's it's amazing. Western Australia is a beautiful coastline. I, I, I surfed just like the week before I came back. My my tow partner and I he took me to a left hand barrel that no one surfs because it's kind of right, right in front of a cliff. So there's no entries for regular surfers. You really need a ski to access this, mm-hmm. this wave. But, um, yeah, he put me into like 20 of the best barrels I've ever had. It was just magic. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was, it's very lucky that you can still go do that totally by yourself. Really? Yeah. Do you guys have a lot of big sharks out there? Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. How often do, do people get like, like bit? Around where, about, around, have, around where you live is we pretty average, bad, I've heard. It's about one fatality a year, you one know, fatality on, a year. on average. You know, when you look at statistically, that's it's not even worth thinking. It's not even worth worrying about because there's thousands of surfers in the water every single day. Mm-hmm. The sharks are always there. It's not like they, they go and come. They're always there. Uh, you know, it's they, where they live, and we're in the water with them interacting on a daily basis. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've seen the video of Mick Fanning and Jay Bay in South Africa. That, that is the most insane thing I've ever, that's ever been caught on video for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, are those are they great whites out there, or what, what kind of sharks are there? We have yeah, uh, great whites are the ones that typically take people in uh-huh. in, in Australia, Western Australia particularly. Um, but no, we have bronze whalers, tiger sharks, bull sharks. Mm. Um, I do a lot of spearfishing as well, so those are the species that you yeah. normally see when you're spearing. Um, I've never seen a white one spearing. Um, my friends that have have and had some interactions with them. Actually, mm-hmm. one of my best friends is a shark mitigation company. Shout out to Shannon Worrell and Shark Ice. Really? So he shark makes, mitigation? What's the, how does that yeah, work? Yeah, so he is a company where they, they uh, have these stickers that you put on the bottom of your surf craft, whether it's a boogie board or surfboard, two big eyes that they've designed. So oh, sharks shit. are ambush predators. And so it really deters the, the shark from coming in and having a look at you. Because um, a lot of times investigation bite, right? They just come up and go, what are you? They're just like right? checking you out, yeah. And then grab you and they let you go. Uh, but grabbing you with their mouth, you know, there's a, it's a 20-foot-long shark, you're dead. Right. It's going to separate you from your limbs. You're going to so. bleed to death. Yeah. So um, he started that company a few years ago. Now he's got wetsuits and stuff, and uh, I use them. All my, they're on all my kids' crafts and my craft for sure. And wow. it gives you that little sense of confidence in the water that, you know, at least something's looking down. Yeah. And I experientially, you know, when I spearfish, I've seen, yeah. seen sharks. And when you look at them, they swim away. Right. Like they see, like they'll start sneaking up on you. But if you're not looking, but as soon as you look, they'll turn away. Yeah, I do a lot of spearfishing around here too. There's a lot of big bull sharks around here on the west coast. Um, on the actually on the east coast, over in like New Smyrna, like three hours from here, it's there's a shark attack almost every day. But they're little black tip sharks or spinner sharks. They're tiny sharks. They're everywhere. You yeah. literally, as soon as you get in the water, a certain time of the year, they're just like hydroplaning across the surface. Like wow. you have to like wait and wait till like you like I've been hit and hit by them hydroplaning multiple times. Wow. Just surfing, but they're tiny sharks. It's not really much to be afraid of, you know. Most the worst that'll happen is you'll get a few stitches or something like that. Yeah, shark, Florida's the number one place in the world for shark attacks. Yeah, a lot of bull shark attacks here because you know they have a lot of estuaries and stuff where they're breeding, and then they're operating in shallow water, so mm-hmm. people get bit. 
Yeah, there's actually a guy who jumped off his dock not too far from here on the West Coast just the other day or a couple years ago. But he would jump off his dock and go swimming every day in a, one of the little lagoons. And then one day he jumped off his dock and jumped right on top of a bull shark and thing bit him in half and killed him. Oh, that happened recently? No, not recently. It was probably yeah. eight years ago. Oh. But it was all over the news. I mean, it was like one of the worst shark attacks on the West Coast of Florida in a long time. Especially because the guy was like right behind his house, yeah, you know, in like awful. three feet of water. Oh, wow. But you said your kids surf too. How old are they? Yeah, sixteen and thirteen. Okay. How old were they when you got them? When you got them in the water for the first time? Oh, they, they've been going in the ocean since they were born. You know, really? Swimming in the surf, and then yeah. yeah, and then they do surf lifesaving club, and okay. so they're 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 all into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they really just started picking up surfing recently. Mm-hmm. It takes a bit of courage, you know. That surfing is a different a yeah. different piece. You're gonna have to get comfortable. with wearing a few on the head you oh know? yeah especially if you're growing up in australia i mean coming here you don't you really don't have much to worry about no yeah where are you guys gonna where are you gonna move when you come here right now i'm touching base in in, in colorado oh, uh, okay. um but i have yet to determine where i'll, okay. I'll be permanently yeah. yeah okay um well what is the future with uh with first person and tell us like people that are listening or watching like where can they where can they uh learn more about this stuff and and find it and or can you buy it yet or of course yeah okay yeah, we just launched on the 15th so get firstperson.com is our website okay and uh, there's tons of information on there and yeah the future is uh we'll continue to innovate uh consumer products around brain health and performance mm-hmm. um and lead to charge in uh natural psychedelics as it starts to legalize so we're going to be very in- involved in, in both those and of course You'll see our uh, our our ingredient potentially first grown trademark uh, on uh, on shelves near you and different brands. First grown. That's that's our trademark product uh, of how we process and grow okay. the mushrooms up in Washington. That's different than anything else that's out there in the market right now. Okay. And so we're talking some industry leading brands about uh, incorporating our product into their product, and and that's that'll be happening over the course of the next six months. Okay, so when the psilocybin actually becomes legal to be on the market will that just be like an additional product that people will be able to like stack with these or mix with these correct and are, are can you purchase all these separately or do they come together or how does it work separately together okay. Okay. with the tens or a nice little thing that's stacked together just as a way to store them different we didn't want to have a bunch of plastic bottles out there and creating right. a bunch of waste so right. we do sachets that are refillable in those tens um but yeah, I, I highly encourage people to uh, to give it a try, um, uh, particularly the uh, the golden hour, which is unlike anything that's out there right now. What makes the golden hour different? Uh, just its intent, right? So it's it's hitting um, um, oxytocin, which a lot of the nootropic products out there are more about focus. You know, focus energy, get shit done, right? Um, so you know, how about just uh, that relaxed, calm, good feeling? where you're just happy, your foot is tapping, and you feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not um, a poison or a toxin to your brain. So super pumped about that. And I'm super excited about what's coming next in that world, um, in in the, the future of drink and, and, and our social connections and, and mm-hmm. redefining that, um, particularly around alcohol right now we are as a society you know we're it's part of our lives and and that's not going away mixing a drink having drinks together doing that for business social even you know even just get together with your friends and family has been centered around that for so long and just having an alternative to that that doesn't have to be so poisonous to our to our body and our brain is something that as a as a company that we're we're exploring for the future 
um, is it recommended to like mix, like you can like mix this with you, you out and have a drink. You can have, you take a couple of golden hours before you out, go out and have a couple cocktails or something you like that. I feel or like it, you don't need it. Right. You know, after oh, having oh. a couple of cocktails. Okay. After, after, if you take some golden hour, you might be, I, I don't really need that to yeah. loosen me up. I'm feeling pretty good uh, right pr- now. Particularly if you're microdosing, you, you, the urge to drink is not it there. It goes away. It's not there. But you got to have something in your hand, right? Yeah. I drink, uh. I drink soda water with lime. Okay. And just so it looks like I'm having a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, people are like, I have a drink. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get mine. It's fine. And I order a soda water with lime. Looks like a vodka tonic. Yeah. You know, I, and I have, I'm a very thirsty drinker. So I was just sitting there and I have like five or six of them. They're like, man, you can handle your alcohol. Mm. I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, this guy's had eight vodka sodas already. That's right. So, um, so even in the morning, so like first thing in the morning, take a couple, of like maybe like the, um, the golden hour or the sunbeam sun together. Beams, yeah. And you said that when you stack the sunbeam and the golden hour, you could have something close to a psilocybin effect. That's, that's the feedback we're getting. That's the feedback. And that that okay. was not expected. We weren't, we didn't say that this was going to happen or mm-hmm. it wasn't an intention, but that's what people keep telling us. And okay. I've experienced myself. Yeah. So one of my friends said that when I had a golden hour, it's like, they felt like someone had just given them a big hug. Really? And I was yeah. like, that's, that's like that's the the feeling we were going for, like uh, that. Ah, oh, you know, it's yeah, a, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. And which one has the lion mane, lion's mane in it? Golden Hour and Sunbeam both both have, have lion's mane. mane. Okay, I really mane. enjoy lion's mane. I've taken it with other supplements, and it's I, amazing. I like it with my coffee. Been shown to increase BDNF, you know, brain drive nootropic factor, mm-hmm. which causes uh, dendrite growth, myelination of mm-hmm. your neurons. It's really where the synaptic gaps happen, where the neurotransmitters. Uh, bind are in the myelin sheath around your neuron so that is really uh, exciting that that research is showing that that increases that you know when you stack that with psilocybin we really think there's a synergy there um, from our own personal experience that when you have that increased bdnf from the lion's mane and then you're also throwing that you know increased uh, dendrite growth and stuff from the psilocybin Mm -hmm. i think it's very powerful for brain health and uh, this is where it why we created these products and so how is it danny you're you're we're, we're 30 minutes in since you popped that uh that microdose and then had some first person to stack it with i don't know like i feel like i feel super relaxed i feel happy and chill i don't feel like i don't i don't feel uh an- anxiety at all or any sort of anxious i just feel very calm and relaxed good and focused and focused, nice. And focused. I feel oh, I shouldn't have drank that giant Celsius, but <laughs> usually, like when I drink an energy drink, right, or I drink a bunch of coffee or caffeine or espresso, I, I kind of have this like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like my brain's going faster than my mouth can move. But when like with this stuff, I feel more calm. I feel like I can think and talk. I, I can everything smoother. I can slows down and like I can focus better. Yeah. If awesome. that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah, awesome. For it's sure. doing its job, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. thank you guys. Can I keep these? Of course. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys coming down and uh, talking about this. I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from it uh, as well. So thanks again, guys. Thanks, Danny. Firstpersongroup.com. That's what uh, it is. Getfirstperson.com for the consumer product. For Get, sure. Getfirstperson.com. Getfirstperson.com. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. On Instagram as well. Perfect. TikTok, that kind of thing. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys. Thanks, I appreciate Danny. it. Appreciate thanks. you. Goodbye, world.